0: Well good morning church. Why don't you come on in, grab a seat. Welcome to this gathering of Desert Springs Church. My name is Chase Jacobs. I'm uh, one of the ministers on staff here at the church. Pastor Drew has been traveling out of state with his family, so he's uh, now in his 14-day quarantine. So he's not going to be with us this morning, but we have Miss Sarah Kelly leading us in singing, so we're very Thankful for her today. Yeah, that's right. Well, why don't you stand up and let's hear God's word call us to worship. From Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen.
1: Let's worship together.
2: good news you guys can take a seat well good morning uh, for those who don't know me my name is Caleb Batchelor I'm the youth and families minister here at the church and I want to welcome you here to this service if this is your first time here at DSC welcome we are glad you are here if you have any questions for us we will have pastors here at the end of the service to answer any questions that you have Well, whether you are visiting here for the first time or you've been coming for a long time, we all have a challenge before us this morning. We are all tempted to look inwardly and see if we have enough good works to be able to worship God. If we don't have as much bad works that we need to get away for us to be invited to worship God. We are all tempted to think this way. But I want to let you know this morning, that is not the gospel. Praise God, that is not the gospel. Our message here this morning is that it doesn't matter what you've done this past week or what you didn't do this past week. It doesn't matter about your resolve to do better for next week. It matters what happened 2,000 years ago at the cross. What Christ has done for you in saving you. From your sins. That's your invitation here this morning. And this is where things get good. Like we talked about last Friday night at our mother daughter event, it's not that Jesus loves us despite our sin and our shame, Jesus loves us because of our sin and our shame. He sees our sin and shame, and his heart is drawn out to us with compassion. So we have every reason in the world to approach the throne of grace boldly this morning. I'd encourage you to do that. Well, like I said, we had a mother-daughter night this past Friday, and let me just tell you, I'm not a mom, last I checked. I'm not a daughter, but I had a great time. And in all seriousness, the Lord was very kind to us this past Friday. He met with us and we we covered the topic of beauty, creativity, and the image of God. And to frame the conversation, we looked at John 4 and the Samaritan woman and how while our shame drives us away from others, it's that very shame that draws Christ's heart to us. Amen. We then transitioned to my favorite part of the night, which was a panel hosted by our women's ministry director, Brandy Beck. She had four other women from our church lead this panel over this theme of beauty, creativity, and the image of God. And thanks to Memo and to Chris, that event is recorded and up on our YouTube channel, so you can go and check that out if you weren't able to be there this past Friday. And I would encourage you, both men and women, to pull that video up. The wisdom in that panel would serve your soul, I guarantee it. Well, another thing we talked about Friday night is how the gospel frees us to serve others in love with this liberating self-forgetfulness. I want to encourage you to serve others this holiday season in two ways. One is through bringing gifts to the Navajo through community Christmas. I know a lot of you have done this for for many years, and with this past week's announcement from the governor, I'm sure you have questions of how we're going to get the presents there. We're going to talk about that at the end of the service, but I want to let you know that Community Christmas is a go, and we will talk about that more later. The other way that you can be able to serve others is through attending the biblical counseling informational meeting December 7th at 6.30 via Zoom. You can sign up for that meeting on our website and we will continue to have more information as that event gets closer. Well, With all of those events coming up, let's pray that the Lord would meet us as we seek to serve these people. Father, we recognize that we need your grace as we seek to serve. We, we cannot do any of this in and of our own power. We look to you for grace, for your power. And Father, we look to your grace and to your power as we enter into this next part of the service, as we continue to worship you through song. Father, it's tempting for us to think as we have to listen as our masks are over our mouths that we can't do much. But Father, you can do much. Father, as we listen to these lyrics and we pray these lyrics over our brothers and sisters in Christ, Father, your power can do things that we cannot do. So Father, we look to you to do wonderful things, things that we cannot even explain. We ask these things in your son's name, amen.
1: Won't you stand with us as we continue to worship?
0: songs one big prayer let's keep praying you can be seated from psalm 33 by the word of the lord the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their host let all the earth fear the lord Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. O Lord our God, we are in awe of you. Maker of heaven and earth. By your will all things were created. By your word you called all things into being when there was nothing. Even us Your creatures you have made in your image and filled us with the breath of life. We worship you because this is what we were made to do. Made by you and for you. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Father, Son, and Spirit, we confess that we have not been what you made us to be. We have not given you the worship you made us for, and we know that you know this. You see all of our deeds. We have turned to our own might. We have turned to our own anxieties or our own comforts for salvation. We have worshiped created things rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. We have not borne your image perfectly, To the world, forgive us. Forgive us for our sins. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Lord, we praise you not only because you have created us out of nothing by your word, but you have also recreated us out of sin and corruption by that same word, your Son, the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. Now Lord, help us to behold his glory in our time together this morning through what we sing, through what we pray, through what we hear taught. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to continue to renew us and to recreate us, to transform us into that same image by degrees through that same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters in the very beginning. Lord, we ask that you would help us by your spirit to be righteous. We ask that you would help us by your spirit to know your word, to know you, we ask that you would help us, by your Spirit, to be loving and compassionate and generous to our neighbor, just like Jesus. And God, we pray that you would help us, by your Spirit, to be one, to be united, to, with one heart, place our hope fully on you. As we gather this morning in the shadow of a pandemic, as we're concerned of the threat of illness and with new shutdowns that are coming. And Lord, more with so much fearful talk about political uncertainty, with so much strife and division in our society. Lord, your steadfast love is all we cling to. We don't trust in armies. We don't trust in horses. We don't trust in our own strength. You look down from heaven at these things. These are little things that you Have made you alone are powerful over all the things you created so we pray to you we trust in you and we ask you as sovereign to provide the wisdom that we need in this time provide wisdom for our elected officials and authorities provide wisdom for our elders as they shepherd us through this time provide wisdom for all of our brother and sister churches around the world lord We pray for wisdom, even for each of us. Help us to live rightly in this time, to never doubt or forget that you alone are able to deliver us, and you have delivered us, and you will deliver us. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen.
1: Won't you stand with us as we continue to praise the name of the Lord our God. I cast my eyes to Calvary where Jesus bled. Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in
3: name you are great and greatly to be praised and so lord we ask let all that is within us bless your holy name we praise you lord and we ask that we would praise you better and praise you more in days ahead and so we ask for your help lord to praise you more in every corner of our lives And to that end, would you, by your spirit, would you, through your words, speak to us again to convict, to give life, to draw, to heal? Lord, you must do these things. We are desperate. We are needy. We want more of you. We want to give you the praise that is your due and live according to your glory in every way. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. And we are in Nehemiah 5 this morning, Nehemiah chapter 5, if you have a Bible with you. If you don't, it'll be up on the screens here in just a bit. It's a section of Nehemiah that reminds me of that famous line in Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. As we saw last week, Nehemiah 3 and 4 was a real high point in God's redemptive plan. Apart from only one group of nobles who thought themselves too good for manual labor, the rest of the Jews, apparently, in and around Jerusalem, they bought into Nehemiah's call and got to work on the rebuilding of the wall Remember from last week, that beautiful phrase repeated throughout chapter 3, next to him, next to him, next to them, next to them. Of course, they're not shoulder to shoulder, but that's almost the idea. Shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, each man responsible for his part of the wall. From religious leaders to lay people, from the wealthy to the poor, fathers, even daughters. Even goldsmiths and perfumers were getting their hands dirty in the back-breaking work of rebuilding the wall. In short, it's God's people in God's special place for God's purposes, unified in their mission, undistracted by anything else, undetoured by their enemies and the growing threat of their enemies. They were all in, and all of them were all in. It was the best of times. It's a high point. But then we come to chapter 5. It was, in some ways, the worst of times, despite all the good, despite the building, the unity, the undistractedness, the, the undistractedness despite the challenges around them, the enemy's threat, despite all that. There was this problem in chapter 5. And it was a problem of a lack of love. A lack of care and concern among God's people. Though they were unified in mission and undistracted and undetoured by their enemies. They were not united in heart and in care for one another. And by the way... This chapter, Nehemiah 5, is set in a time that's not in some distant future from chapters 3 and 4. What's going on in chapter 5 is probably before or during the days of the rebuilding of the walls. As we find out from chapter 6, the whole rebuilding of the wall project only took 52 days. And 52 days is not long enough for the problems of chapter 5 to emerge But it is long enough for the problems going on, even during chapters 3 and 4, to be exposed. Here are the problems. Let's read it. Nehemiah 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it's not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us not abandon this exacting. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. "'Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, "'and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil "'that you have been exacting from them.' "'Then they said, "'We will restore these and require nothing from them. "'We will do as you say.' "'And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. "'I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, "...neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration forty shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall and we acquired no land and all my servants were gathered there for the work." Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Well, the chapter breaks neatly into three parts. The first we can call a concerning situation. It starts with a concerning situation in the first five verses. And verse 1 signals for us the rest of what's to come. It's a summary. There arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Now, the following verses from there give us various details and complexities to the problem. Nehemiah, for instance, highlights three groups of people, three kinds of problematic situations. Verse 2, there are those who simply say, We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. And we are getting desperate. In verse 3, another group would say, we are landowners, but we've had to mortgage our fields and vineyards and houses because of the famine. So apparently there's a famine. A big deal in those days. A big deal in any day, but not very typical in our country in these days. This isn't akin to... The grocery store might be out of frozen pizzas right now, or there's been a run on toilet paper these days. A famine, desperate situation. In verse 4, another group says, we've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields. And there's a whole lot of background here that we could talk about regarding the high taxes that went to Persian kings in these days. But in some, these are unsustainable times. These are desperate measures taking place. People mortgaging their land is problematic because when they can't repay their loans, the land is taken away, and the land is what they work, and it's where they get their food. Taking out loans to pay for your taxes, that's never good. No one should put their taxes on a credit card it's unsustainable it's so bad verse 5 the second half we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves some of our daughters are already enslaved and we can't help it because other men have our fields and vineyards desperate situation desperate measures And yet, believe it or not, these are not the reasons for their outcry back in verse 1 because their outcry was against their Jewish brothers. Their outcry is not against the famine. Their outcry is not against big taxes. It's something else, something that doesn't become crystal clear until the next section in Nehemiah's confrontation. We'll get to it, but notice already verse 7. You are exacting interest, each from his brother. The outrageous situation is this. It's the lending of money at interest and probably at very high interest rates and probably the the demanding of repayment of those loans in unreasonable timelines with unreasonable penalties causing these people to go further into debt, consummating in this horrible situation, unthinkable situation of parents selling their kids as slaves. But the biggest issue here is that all this was being done among God's people, brother to brother. Fellow Jews were doing this to their poorer brothers, The poor were getting poorer. The rich were getting richer. Remember again, this is set within really some best of times. The rebuilding of the wall. The the unity and success and undistractedness of chapters 3 and 4. This camaraderie of shoulder to shoulder. Next to him, next to him, next to them. It's in that context that God's people turned on each other. And that's a great reminder to us of these spiritual principles that we find elsewhere in the Bible, like those who think they stand better take heed lest they fall. That our, our moments of victory and success do not ensure that temptation is not lurking right behind that sometimes it's possible to do so well with our left hand and to do so wrong with our right. Sometimes things are not always as they seem. Be careful. Nehemiah hears of this dire situation, this great sin, and he is very angry. It leads to a stern confrontation. Secondly, a stern confrontation, verses 6 to 13. I was very angry when I heard their outcry. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against them. Now, before we go into the details of Nehemiah's charges against these people, I want to sort of back up and just give us a kind of 101 on righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Because we should know the difference. The text seems to imply that what Nehemiah had here in very angry, those words imply good and right anger. And so we should know what's good and right anger and what isn't. Righteous anger, righteous indignation, isn't solely about us. It's not merely about me. It is first and foremost about God and his desires and his ways. Righteous indignation reflects the two greatest commandments, which we can say are also the two greatest goals in this world for God's people. To love God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself. Righteous indignation is right When God isn't loved, when people aren't loved and served. And so Nehemiah wasn't angry, as we sometimes are, because his agenda got sabotaged, because his timeline got adjusted. He wasn't angry merely about the famine, which he couldn't control. He wasn't angry about the high taxes. He was angry about the sin of God's people, sin done among God's people and to God's people, harming God's people and God's ways. The difference, though, between righteous anger and unrighteous anger is not always easily discerned, and so we should be careful. We should be self-suspicious. We should be on the watch. We should be aware of what side of the horse we tend to fall off of. Because it's not the same for you as it is for someone else. There are some who never have righteous anger. They think themselves to be too humble for that. Uh, They wouldn't want to ever say that that's wrong. That's wrong to never say that something's wrong. It's sinful to never have righteous anger. And yet others are often angry and often certain of their anger and certain that it's righteous maybe when it's not. you got to know which side of the horse you tend to fall off of. We should also be careful because righteous anger can sometimes devolve into unrighteous anger. Ephesians 4, verse 26 is so helpful here. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Three three phrases that give us really a, a, a dissecting of what's at work here with righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Be angry. There's a time to be angry. But don't sin. Righteous anger is what God's people need not unrighteous anger. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Not don't let the sun go down on your unrighteous anger. Don't wait for sunset to get right with God with your unrighteous anger. No, Ephesians four twenty six says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry and do not sin. This is righteous anger. None of us in this room have it within us to sit on even righteous anger for more than a day without giving it to the Lord and it not turn into bitterness, it not devolve into unrighteous anger. Be angry, do not sin, don't let the sun go down on your righteous anger. And I think we see something of those principles at work in Nehemiah's example. He was angry, verse six, and then verse seven, I took counsel with myself. Not, I was angry, and so I said, oh, there's a parenthesis before he speaks. I took counsel with myself. I I got away from the moment. I backed up. I thought about things. No doubt the ever-praying Nehemiah also prayed about this. He took counsel with himself, but then he spoke, and he brought charges to God's people. You are exacting interest, each from his brother. Now, what he has in mind here, exacting interest, walking in the fear of God, as he'll later talk about, all this comes from three key passages in the Mosaic Law, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Let me read from them. Exodus 22, verses 25 to 27 Speaks to this and says, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that's his only covering. And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. That's Exodus 22, Leviticus 25, verses 25 and following. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then Deuteronomy 23, verses 19 to 20. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest. But you may not charge your brother interest. So understand that the issue here is not the loaning of money. The issue here is not even the loaning of money with interest to anyone. This is specific to the covenant community. This is brother to brother and sister to sister. The problem was that they were taking advantage of their impoverished brothers. Taking advantage of their poverty to make them greater in debt and with greater trouble, even to the extent of them selling their kids off in slavery. That's the problem. That's how bad it was. They were disobeying God's word and his direct commandments, his very clear will for his people. It not only went against God's direct commandments, but it went against God's redemptive ways you see that in the leviticus passage i'm the god who brought you out of egypt i'm the god who pulls you from slavery don't enslave your brother and you see it in our passage in verse 8 we've been bringing back our jewish brothers who were sold to the nations the nations like babylon or now persia and now you're selling your brothers This goes against God's redemptive ways. It's like the undoing of the exodus, the undoing of the return from Babylon. It goes against the fear of God, he says in verse 9. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? He appeals to that motive again in verse 15. And do you see here how Nehemiah isn't merely rebuking these people, but reasoning with them? Rebuking, charging with wrong, yes, but he is also reasoning. He's part providing argumentation. He's making a case. This goes against God's redemptive ways, his commandments of old. It's not consistent with the fear of our God. And it besmirches God's name among the nations, Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations? You see how this would fly in the face of their testimony before the nations. You can see how the nations would say, look at you people. Oh, unified in building your little wall and the kids go hungry behind it. What kind of God do you serve, they might say. And they ought not to say. And so Nehemiah calls on them to stop it and to make things right. Return their fields and their vineyards to them. Everything that's been taken from them and then some. In verse 12, they said, we will. We will restore these things. We will require nothing more of them. We will do as you say. It's then that Nehemiah takes the stakes even higher And he calls on the priests to engage the people with an oath. The second half of verse 12, I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. And then Nehemiah plays the role of the prophet in doing a kind of prophetic enactment of a curse. This happens with the later prophets like Hosea. Remember Hosea? is told to marry a prostitute as sort of an illustration of how God has set his love on a wayward people. Or Ezekiel is told to bake his bread over dung as an illustration for a prophetic message. It's Ezekiel 4.9. You can find that bread at um, any health food store these days. They should have read the context a little bit better before they stamped it on their bread. But there it is, that kind of thing, a prophetic enactment of a lesson being preached. And that's what Nehemiah does. Verse 13, he shook out his garments and said, may God shake you out if you do not keep your promise. The people said, amen, amen, we will do it. They praised the Lord, they did as they promised. By the way, here we have just a great example of confrontation and conviction and correction, just in general. These are things we can apply to ourselves. These are things we can follow, whether we're talking about Nehemiah's example of His righteous indignation and his call to repentance and his giving of reasons for that call to repentance. Or the people's response, their response of repentance and restoration. And while we may not call in priests for an oath, they resolve to do what's right. That's the very nature of repentance, by the way, isn't it? It's to turn, to turn from and to turn to something we turned from our bad ways and we turn to the lord and his paths that's what these people do that's what we should be in the habit of doing whenever right confrontation comes our way now before we move on to the last section here we need to just take a moment to seek to apply this especially to us today knowing it's in a different part of the Bible, it's in a different historical context than our own. And so in some ways, the issues and concerns of Nehemiah 5, or for that matter, those verses in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, they don't directly apply to us today. Judah, in those days, was a a nation state and a, a community and a church all at once. They they weren't divided. And so in some ways, things were simpler. How things were taken care of? Well, brother to brother, community in community. In some ways, the simplicity of their situation made their care for the poor even more important. They were the Red Cross. They were the federal government. It was all wrapped up in one. And things are different today for us. The Old Testament regulations in play in Nehemiah 5 don't don't directly translate to the secular business world today. No, it's a covenant community issue. Now John Calvin, who was the spiritual leader and civil leader of Geneva during the Reformation he wrote a good bit and, and thought a good bit about the, the purposes and good use of interest in loans. In secular society, he thought it's merely a good business transaction between two parties to give a loan at a reasonable rate of interest. And so, like any business transaction where hopefully both parties are happy at the end of it and both feel served by the transaction, the borrowing of money at a reasonable interest can be the same. We recently remortgaged our home. Many of you have done the same because of the low rates. And after signing 50 times my signature at the end, I was glad. This was a good thing for us. This was a good financial move. And yet, I'm sure there's a bank in Iowa somewhere. Soon it will be Kentucky, and then it will be Michigan. But, but there's a bank somewhere who's happy to have our money and to do this loan with us, even at this low interest rate. So thinking just in secular economic terms today... Nehemiah 5 shouldn't lead us to abandon a free market where money is lent in a way that is reasonable and serves the good of both parties. Or to put it another way, you can be a loan officer or a banker these days to the glory of God. You can put to use the two great commandments of loving God and loving neighbor while you loan money at the going raid but but God's ways are not in favor to in the least of any kind of predatory lending the tactics of loan sharks as They're called in the mob or, or payday loans as you find in some neighborhoods. That stuff is cruel and wicked. It is taking advantage of poverty and trouble to put people in greater poverty and more trouble. And it is the exact opposite of how God sees the world. So Proverbs says, he who oppresses the poor insults his maker. That stands in the covenant community and in the whole world. But the most direct and most important application from Nehemiah 5 to us today is through and in the church. It's in the new covenant community. Again, the concern of Nehemiah 5 is that God's people were taking advantage of God's people to fill their pockets, to line their pocketbooks. In some ways, that's, um, that's not a massive problem in the church today, praise God. It's not a problem that I know of in this church, by God's grace. I mean, just imagine the absurd scenario of a community group and someone offering the prayer request. He's out of work, the bills are piling up, the kids are missing some meals. And someone, after they meet, pulls that man aside and says, Hey, brother, I can help you. I'll loan you $500, but it's at a rate of 30%. I'll I'll need the whole back plus 30% in two weeks. If you don't have that to me, two more weeks later, it's 30 more percent on top. And if I don't have any money come six weeks later, I'm going to come to your front door. I'm going to go in your garage. I'm going to find something in your house of sufficient value, and it's mine. I mean, it's laughable to think that would ever take place in a community group in this church. If it has, please do let me know. (laughs) And so while that's absurd, we thank God for it, and we don't take that for granted and yet let's not congratulate ourselves too much that's just simple basic fundamental christianity Uh, if you would not seek to take advantage of your brother's poverty and hardship that just means you're a christian according to first john 3. three first john three says by this we know love that he jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers if anyone has this world's goods and see his sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does god's love abide in him Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are in the truth. So, that's what basic Christianity is. That's why our community groups are fundamentally different than the tactics that are confronted in Nehemiah 5. And if you're not a Christian, you should just know there is something inside of a good gospel-preaching church like this one that you probably haven't seen, and it might surprise you. It might shock you. You might see people who hear a man say, I'm out of work, the bills are piling up, The, the pantry's getting low, and people just bend over left and right. Our family these days doesn't need a, a big handout, but there were days when our family did. Over the years, our family has been given three cars. <laughs> what? Who does that? Who gives away cars? Christians. That's what they do. Yeah. Not, not because, well, you know, the, the preacher, give him a car. It has nothing to do with it. It's just we, we were poor. We needed a car. Someone gave us a car. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to take a good look inside of a church and inside its relationships. And you might see something not perfect, but supernatural. Not normally what you see out there in the rest of the world. Nothing that like the Kiwanis Club or the Boy Scouts will do. It's Christianity. And Christians, let's not... Let's not be content with merely showing genuine, believing, baseline Christianity. No, let's grow in it. Like we grow in any good virtue in the Christian life, let us grow in this. Let us not be content. Let us not assume that because our community group as a whole meets needs, therefore we are meeting needs. That may not be true. Are you doing your part? And if you say, well, I am a Christian, I know that, but I don't really see the hands-on stuff you're talking about, well, then you are not in the church like you should be. And a community group would be a, an easy way, maybe the best way for you just to jump in to a community that cares for each other in these ways we're talking of today. It's 1 John 3. It's 1 Timothy 6. I don't have time to read that for you today, but there are about eight verses in two sections of 1 Timothy 6, and I'd encourage you to read the chapter together with whomever you're having lunch with today. Read 1 Timothy 6 to be reminded of what Paul says about riches and money and how to use money and how to put it to use, and its it's dangers and temptations and what people should do with their money where that's needed, where, where repentance is needed today, may we follow the lead of those in Nehemiah 5 who just at first said nothing and then said, all right, we, we, will, we will change. Thirdly, there's a sacrificial example. More quickly, there's a sacrificial example shown to us by Nehemiah Verse 14, he says, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor. So we learn now that he's governor in this land. It's about 12 years, he says. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. He explains, verse 15, the background. The former governors who were before me, they laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration but I didn't do so because of the fear of God and because it would be too heavy of a burden upon the people. As governor, he has certain rights, you could say, certain provisions. Our governor in the state of New Mexico lives in a governor's mansion provided for by the taxes of the people. Her salary is paid for by the people, and rightly so. Nothing wrong with that. Nehemiah has such rights as governor, but he forgoes those rights. He was a wealthy man, to be sure. Even, even throughout this process, he ate well. He had 150 men or so staying with him in the governor's quarters. They had plenty of meat, plenty of wine, But he paid for it all out of his pocket so that it wouldn't be a burden to the impoverished saints. He even continued to give and serve the whole project of the building of the wall. Like Paul in the Thessalonian letters, if you were with us as we studied those in not-too-long-ago times. Paul said, I was with you. I was an example. I I did tent making while I was with, with you so that it was really clear. I don't charge for gospel preaching. I could have taken that. I could have asked for that, but I didn't. I wanted to give you an example. Work hard to serve others. It isn't always clear how much we should give. It isn't always clear how much we should have. Even while Nehemiah let go of what was his as governor, he remained quite wealthy apparently based on the amount of food and the amount of wine that they took in each day or each month. It isn't always clear how much to give, how much to have, what to keep, what to give away. But we do what we think is right before the Lord and we leave it at that. And Nehemiah does this. He ends with a a clear conscience, a, a word committing these things to the Lord. He says, remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Now that sounds meritorious to us, right? It sounds like he's doing exactly what Caleb challenged us not to do as we come into this service, not to come with our works, not to think that we earn the right to worship God. And it sounds like Nehemiah is doing that. Remember for my good what I've done. But this is a man who knows grace. This is a man who knows God's steadfast covenantal love that forgives sins. And so this is a man who commits his works to the Lord. This is a man who does good not for salvation but does good for God's smile and satisfaction. And he asks God to see it with a clear conscience. What a great example he is. Once again and once again we're reminded of a greater example that we find in God's grand story of the Bible. Nehemiah reminds us of a better example and one who was more than an example. Nehemiah could only be an example and an imperfect example at that. But we have a Savior, Jesus, who was a perfect example and far more than an example. We saw it in 1 John 3. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us, referring to the cross where Jesus died. He didn't just die to to show humility or as an example of turning the other cheek to your enemies. He died in our place for us, for our sins. He took on our punishment. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul puts it in these rich spiritual economic terms. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, perfect, and had everything, yet for your sake he became poor. He took on flesh. He became a servant. He died on the cross so that you, by his poverty, you might become rich, spiritually speaking. Christ gave up all, though we deserved it, none. In the story of our salvation, we were not only the victims, we were not only the helpless, we were not only those who needed help, we were also those who did the harm. We are, we are the offenders not the offended. We are those who have taken advantage of people, aren't we? We haven't shown love like we should. We are really selfish with our money. Thankfully, we're not as bad as we could be, maybe not as bad as we used to be. But man, it's still there. Why would he look upon us? Why would we have favor with him? Why does he love us? Because Christ laid down his life for us. In our place, condemned, he stood. If you don't know that for yourself yet, if you're not yet a Christian, we invite you, we call on you, and God himself commands you to come to him in his mercy, to receive this and receive it by faith. Not by earning it, not by one-percenting it, him doing the 99 no, it's by faith. It's, it's simply believing. It's simply trusting. It's simply asking. It's simply bringing your sin to him who can deal with your sin appropriately and justly, expecting that in return, because he's a gracious God, he will give righteousness as a gift. He will remove all debt. He will remove all, all record of wrong. I pray today you would know the Savior in that way you'd be saved and then you would join with those who are saved, those who are Christians in a community like this, not a perfect community but a genuine one, one that you won't find out there in the world one that has as its model and foundation a Savior who laid down his life for us Philippians 2, Christians are to have his mind, his mindset as they sacrifice for each other. Him who, what does it say? Though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was rich. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, have that mindset in you, Christian, towards others. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, may we have Christ as our gracious servant and sacrifice on our behalf, for our salvation. And may that transform us to be more like him, to have his mindset, to serve and sacrifice so freely and happily in fear of you, in glorious, happy fear of you, and for your name among the nations. May these things be so. May we, in good conscience today, And forever be able to say, remember this good, oh God, for all that we've done. While we confess that at the end of the day, we are nothing more than unprofitable servants, wholly indebted to your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: you stand with us as we respond to the preaching of the word take my
3: Take my life, Lord. Take my lips, take my voice, take my hands, my feet, take my silver and my gold. Lord, let it all be consecrated to you. Let it be handed over to you. Let it be reserved for you. Let it be yours and put to your use. Amen. You could be seated. Well, I'm sure that uh, by now we're all aware that another COVID-related shutdown begins tomorrow and goes for the next couple of weeks, at least. Uh, You may have caught as well that houses of worship during this time can meet at 25% capacity or 75 individuals, whichever is less. For us, that means 75 individuals. Uh, But we've also been asked by the governor's office to not meet in person during this time, If possible. So rather than try to limit our services to 75 people uh, at a time, and because we can um, indeed get back to, for a time anyway, we can get back to that format that we're all too familiar with. Uh, For the next couple of Sundays, we'll be streaming the service online and not meeting here in person. Uh, If you want to put it on your calendar, it'll be one service at 10 a.m. For the next two Sundays and as usual you can get the link to that on our social media pages uh, also on our main uh, website uh, right at the top uh, or if you know our direct address on YouTube and you you go there then you can find uh, the service beginning and streaming there so. Um, Let me talk about how this affects community Christmas efforts, which Caleb referred to earlier. He said, we're still doing it, and we are, but we won't be able, most likely, to do any trips there uh, and to be able to hand out gifts in person. But we're still doing the tags and the gifts part of it that you usually do here on site. What that means for today is you can get tags from the Christmas trees uh, out in the foyer today as you leave. Past today, over the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to do that on our website. Whatever the electronic equivalent is, you'll be able to do on our website. You'll be able to reserve certain gifts for kids uh, on the website and sign up there and then go get them on your own. Um, Keep in mind, retail stores won't be open for the next couple of weeks, so be strategic. Maybe Target, which uh, has uh, groceries uh, connected with it, and also goods. But if you would, bring gifts back over the next couple of Sundays. Again, we won't be meeting here, but we'll have people available to take your gifts on Sundays between 9 and 12. Think of it as uh, coming to the church building either before or after you partake of the um, the service online at 10 a.m. So 9 to 12, we'll have people here to receive your gifts over the next couple of Sundays. Uh, the church office, keep in mind as well, that'll be closed over the next couple of weeks as uh, any office is that is not um, considered essential. Uh, so if you have any questions for us, whether about uh, community Christmas, or anything else, especially if you have any questions about spiritual matters, about becoming a Christian, about what the gospel is, uh, you can email us, info at dscabq.com. we we'll would be glad to answer you there. Uh, if you want to leave a message on our phone, eventually someone will listen to the, the message there and give you a call back, but the quickest way would be through email. And if you have any spiritual matters, prayer requests, concerns, or questions you'd like to deal with right away today, I'll be up front uh, right up here after the service. Others will as well. We're here to greet you, to pray with you, to get to know you if you're visiting with us. We're glad you're with us. Let us know how we can help. I close with these words in 1 Peter 3. He says, finally, in the middle of his letter, and these are good final words for us this morning, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, but bless, for to this you were called. He who desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Amen? Amen. You're dismissed.